I'm going to miss that, uh, that wheelbarrow going down the aisle. And uh, our, that's so unique to our church. I, don't, I haven't seen that anywhere in any other church that I've been a part of, so I'm going to miss that. Um, I want us to be a little bit vulnerable today, um, if that's okay with you guys. Not too vulnerable, but a little bit vulnerable. I want to ask you, all the, the adults in the room, I want to ask you a question. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever made a foolish decision in your life? Show your hands. Oh my goodness, a bunch of fools out there. Okay, okay. Graduates, I want you to, I want you to see that. That pretty much everybody, hopefully everybody actually uh, raised their hand because it's true. We've all made foolish decisions in our life. We, we have regrets. We have things that we wish we would have changed, things that uh, we would have told our younger selves if we, if we just knew better. Many of us have had to suffer the consequences of our foolish decisions. But graduates, you don't have to walk down that path. And what I want to do this morning is to briefly answer the question, why do we make foolish decisions so we can avoid them? And then we'll dive a little deeper into how we can make wise decisions that are going to save you from a lot of heartache and regret. So why do we make foolish decisions? Well, a couple years back, Psychology Today had a short article entitled, Why Do People Make Bad Choices? I found it a little bit intriguing. And so as I was looking at it, um, I just want to summarize this for you. The writer suggests it comes down mostly to one thing, our emotions. We, we allow our emotions to get the best of us. We don't stop to reason through things, or in the Christian sense, we don't follow the Holy Spirit's leading. We just kind of do what feels right in the moment. And then it goes on to say that we continue to make these same mistakes because of ego, because of pride. We don't admit, we don't like to admit that we're wrong. So we just keep doing the same old things. Now, this is from a psychological perspective, but it's also consistent with what God has to say throughout Scripture. Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's because we desire to do what feels best for us in the moment. We trust our hearts, and then we try to cover it up because we don't want to admit that we're wrong, that we've sinned. In fact, since the fall, this has been humanity's default way of doing life. But thankfully, Scripture doesn't just give us the problem, it also gives us a solution. Some wisdom to help us make decisions that will ultimately lead to our flourishing. So today, I want us to look at some words of wisdom from a man who is considered one of the wisest men to have ever lived. A guy named Solomon. And these are words he originally passed down to his son, and that have been preserved for us today to take to heart. So that we too can make wise decisions. So we're going to be in Proverbs 3 today, verses 1 through 12. There's a lot of wisdom in the scriptures, but we're only going to get a, a chunk of that, verses 1 through 12 today. And it begins with this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. See, Solomon's teaching was not teaching about math or science or underwater basket weaving. His teaching was the teaching of the Lord from the scriptures. After all, he was a good Israelite father. And as a good Israelite father, he would have known Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, which, commit, which specifically commissions parents, especially fathers, to disciple their kids, to, to teach their kids in the Lord. 
Here's what he would have heard. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So just as Solomon is to have the commandments of the Lord upon his own heart, so too is he to pass them on to his children. And that's what Solomon's doing here in written form. He, he's, you can kind of think of the Proverbs as, as wisdom that Solomon has gained from a life of experience and spending time with the Lord. And he's taking those nuggets of biblical truth and writing it down, in this case, for one of his sons. And the responsibility then of his son is to then take it to heart. See, these aren't just Solomon's words of wisdom. These are wisdom from the Lord. These are God's principles to abide by for a successful and fulfilling life. And graduates, Solomon writes this as someone who was granted a tremendous amount of wisdom and discernment. I don't know if you know a lot about Solomon, but Solomon uh, was asked by God, hey, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And he's a king. He's a very young king at the time when he was asked this. And what happened was uh, he, he didn't ask for power or prestige or fame or fortune. What he asked for is wisdom and discernment to lead the people well. How about that? As a young kid, a young king, he was asking for wisdom and discernment. He was considered the wisest person the world had ever seen. People would flock to him to just hear a word from him. The wisdom that, that, that came from God through Solomon. Yet even Solomon made some incredibly foolish decisions when he forgot the teachings of the Lord and did not take the commandments of the Lord to heart. Perhaps the most obvious mistake in Solomon's life was when he married all these foreign wives and, with foreign gods. And God had warned the people that marrying foreign wives would turn their hearts away from the Lord because they had different gods. But instead of obeying that command and taking it to heart, Solomon decided to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. Wow. For somebody so wise, that seems so foolish. Now, if I, if I do my math correctly, that's at least 999 foolish decisions that he's made in his life, right? That's a lot of decisions for the wisest person in the world. See, the problem was not with knowing the commandments. He knew them. It was with Solomon's heart. And now, having learned from his mistakes, he wants nothing more for his son to embrace the Lord in his ways wholeheartedly and not make the same mistakes he did. Graduates, as your youth pastor and friend, I want nothing more than for you to wholeheartedly and unashamedly embrace the wisdom and instruction of the Lord. So the first word of wisdom Solomon tells his son is basically this. Remember what you believe and act accordingly. Remember what you believe and act accordingly. Solomon, as a good Israelite father, has spent a lot of time with him, teaching his son right and wrong, teaching him the scriptures. He spent a lot of time helping him to know and experience God. But now it's time for him to embrace it for himself. Graduates, you have you've had parents, teachers, mentors, small group leaders, myself, other godly people in your life, 
to help you along to make decisions up to this point. And we will continue to be here for you. But at the end of the day, it's up to you. Are you going to seek the wisdom of this world, or are you going to seek to not just know the Word of God, but to obey it? If you do that, graduates, verse 2 says, there's life and peace that are yours only in the Lord. Well, Solomon then gives his son another word of wisdom in verses 3 and 4. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your, of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, steadfast love and faithfulness have to do with commitment, with loyalty. And this is covenantal language the Lord used with his people. This is promises from God. He, he will show steadfast love and faithfulness to his people no matter how they treat him, no matter their response to him, no matter the circumstances. And the idea here is that we will commit ourselves to reflecting and showing that kind of love and faithfulness that God shows us in our relationships with others and with him. So we are to commit to reflecting God's love and faithfulness. You see, love and faithfulness should be as evident in your life as if they were around your neck for all to see. I, I just, I have a picture in my mind of this, like, you know how all those rappers and all those, uh, those videos that they have, they have all these gold chains and everything, and they're just flaunting it. It's like, okay, you're a rapper. I see you. Uh, you're, you're a rapper. In the same way, love and faithfulness is to be so ingrained in who you are that it's like, it's so apparent, and it becomes so much permanent. You take it to heart. And when you do that, in general, you're going to have favor with both God and others. You'll have success in life. Now, it doesn't mean you'll have success in terms of our society's definition of success, right? Fame, fortune, love, sex, money, all those things. And it certainly doesn't mean that everyone will like you. You see, you may be persecuted and hated because of Christ. But in general, it's hard to hate someone who loves you and is committed to you. So as you commit to reflecting God's love and faithfulness in your life, may people see the Lord in you and be drawn to Christ. You are an ambassador of King Jesus. Embrace the love and faithfulness that is yours in Christ and allow that to show in all that you do. And this brings us to the next word of wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Graduates, your life is not your own. If you're in Christ, you have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed to live for him and only him. And there will be things that you will not understand because you're not God. See, I thought I knew what I was going to do with my life in the eighth grade. Many of you know this story. I was going to make maps for a living. So when I graduated from high school, the next important decision for me to make was, where was I going to go to college? So I'm a list maker, okay? Any list makers out there? Okay, a few of us, okay? I'm a list maker, and so I would at least weekly update my little Excel spreadsheet uh, with all the top schools that would get me the dream job that I wanted. And that list would go up and down and up and down, and it was, it was just crazy, right? And eventually, I found a school that was really perfect for me. They had the right program, all that. 
except they weren't going to give me hardly any scholarships. And it was out of state. And anybody that has been out of state for college knows it's way, way, way much uh, more expensive. In fact, it was probably one of the worst decisions I financially have made in my life up to this point. Yet I ended up going to that school. Now, why did I choose that school? Well, I wouldn't know until I was rooming with a Southern Baptist roommate named Matthew, who was faithful in inviting me to church. At that point, I wasn't a Christian. He just started to invite me in church, to church with him. And then that led me to joining a Christian club on campus, which is where I met a good friend and mentor of mine, Tristan, who discipled me in the Lord, taught me everything I knew, which led me then to choosing to follow Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. See, I wasn't just there for a degree. That was my plan. I was there because God was calling me and drawing me to himself. I had no idea. Meanwhile, there was this opportunity for me to apply for a national scholarship that would cover all my tuitions and books and fees and other things. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe, I, maybe this is where God wants me to go. And yet I, went, I wrestled with this. I went back and forth. Like, is it, is it just a waste of time? Should I apply? Should I not apply? It's not really even my dream job, but what should I do this? It was probably about two weeks before the deadline. I decided, okay, let's apply. And then I got the scholarship. So all those things that I, that I was worried about financially, all of a sudden, God, God had provided. See, even how I got to, to Christ Community Church, like, I can't explain how it all happened. <laughs> But I was under contract with my previous employer, and I had about a year left on my contract. Otherwise, I'd have to pay back thousands of dollars to get out of it. But I sensed God directing me to get further involved in youth ministry. So what I did was, okay, I'm going to take seminary classes online, part-time, so I can can pursue that. I think this is where God is leading me. Then I put my resume out there just to see if anyone would take a chance on me, even though I didn't have a degree. Because though I couldn't confirm it at the time, I remember in March of that year, of 2016, I remember just sensing from the Lord this confidence that I would be a youth pastor in that August of that same year. Then I got a phone call from Pastor Randy from this church in Iowa. Never in a thousand years would I have moved, thought to move to Iowa, right? But after candidating about seven years ago, I sensed the Lord calling me to this place. And I was debating whether to share this with you because uh, I don't want you to, to, to see me as, as, as being prideful or, or arrogant or anything like this. But I just, I, I think this is the Lord. <laughs> and I, want you to, I just want you to see what the Lord has done in my life. Listen, I had to pay back thousands of dollars to do so. To come to this place that would just pay me less. It still pays me less than what I had made seven years ago. That's insane. But listen, when God calls you to something, you know it's for your good and for his glory, and he's going to provide. God has a way of confirming you're on the right path, at least in my life. On my last day of working at my old job, the the colonel I was working for at the time called me into his office, and that's usually not a good sign. He said, shut the door, have a seat. That's usually also not a good sign. And he said, I hear you're going into youth ministry. I hear you're leaving us. 
said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? That's like the last day that I was there. He's praying for me. That was the Lord. So graduates, trust the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. Even as I am going on to flight school, I don't know why. I don't know all the reasons. I have my own reasons, but God has his as well. And all I have to do is look back on my life and see God's hand at work to know it's all going to be okay. To trust the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. If God calls you to move to a different town or a different state or a different country, do it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait until you know all the details because let me just tell you, you will not ever have all the details to make every decision. Just take that next step that he gives you. I like how the Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard said it. He said, do not fly so high with your decisions that you forget that a decision is but a beginning. Graduates, don't worry about making the wrong decisions and miss out on making the right ones. Let me say that again. Some of you guys need to hear this. Don't worry about making the wrong decisions and miss out on making the right ones. Go confidently in the general direction that God has revealed to you and expect to be directed from there. Just like it's easier to direct a boat if it's moving, so too in our lives. If, if we're moving in the general direction toward God, he will make your path straight. But I know that as you go through life, you will have a tendency to trust in your own decision-making abilities. You'll second-guess God's way of doing things. And when you find yourself in that situation, remember this from verses 7 and 8. It says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from the evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Of course, this reminds me of another verse in Romans, Romans 7.21, which says this. This is Paul speaking. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. See, both Solomon and Paul, two of the wisest people to ever live, struggled to fear the Lord in all circumstances. And trust me, you will find yourselves in situations you never plan to be in, both good and bad. Whether it's in college, in the workforce, maybe even just being alone with your thoughts. See, in my own life, I have found that when life is going really well, my guard goes down. And it's so tempting for sin to come upon me. It's so tempting to, for, for evil, as it's right there, <laughs> to come into my life. And for you graduates, it will be tempting in those moments just to give in to the wisdom of the world. Like, it's, it's not the worst thing I could do. No one's going to know. It's not a big deal. I, I know what God says about this, but it's fine. It's just this once. He'll understand. I'm just human. That's the wisdom of the world. Seek the wisdom of the Lord in those moments. Fear the Lord and rely on God's wisdom and not your own. And it won't always be convenient. <laughs> you may lose friends over it. I have lost friends over being a Christian. But remember, God does everything for his glory and your good, and he designed you to operate a certain way. It's like putting water in the gas tank of a car, thinking, well, water is better for the environment. It, it won't end well, right? It, you won't go anywhere. 
So just as a gasoline-powered car needs gasoline, so too do we need God's wisdom to fuel our lives so we can flourish. And you may be tempted to think you know yourself best. I've been there. But that's not true. It's the God who created you who knows you best and knows what's good for you. So be fueled with his wisdom even when it contradicts the popular wisdom of this world or even your own wisdom. Now, if that's not clear enough, Solomon gives us two ways, just two, that the Lord's wisdom plays out in practical ways that on the surface may not be so apparent. The first is this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Graduates, God will bless you with many things in life. And if he blesses you with wealth and things and possessions, know that they are not primarily, primarily to be used for your purposes, but his. After all, your money is actually his money. Not just a tenth of it, all of it. And your stuff is actually his stuff. And yet as Christians, it's also tempting for us. It's so easy to think, well, I earned this money. It's my money. I bought this stuff. It's mine. And I'm going to use it however I want. But remember when you're tempted to think that way, that life is not primarily about you. I say that lovingly. See, without God, John 15 says you can do nothing. And whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, do all to the glory of God. And that means your finances as well, your wealth. So graduates, use your wealth to honor the Lord. When you earn a paycheck for the work you do, give a portion of it back to God. Be generous in giving to your local church. Be generous in giving to things that will advance the kingdom of God. And here's the thing. When you do that, God will provide for you everything you need and more. I, trust me on that. Not in some sort of prosperity gospel kind of way, like if you give more, you're going to receive more. Nothing like that. But in the sense that you're investing in eternal things, things that don't lose their value. You're investing in what matters most in this world. And when you do that, in a sense, you become more and more blessed as you see God's kingdom grow. I've seen this in my own life, graduates. I started giving just $10 a month to one of my first churches as a college student. And I thought at the time, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money I'm giving to the church. But then I increased it to $20 and then $50. And then I'm like, okay, wow, that's a lot of money. I could, I could spend that money elsewhere. But I kept trusting the Lord to, that, that he would do greater things with that money. And, I was, and every year, as my paycheck increased, so did my giving. If I were to do the calculations, people in the world would say, wow, you could have saved all that money. You could have had a great down payment on a, on a car or, 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 or a house. What were you thinking? <laughs> You've given thousands of dollars a year to church and other organizations. What's in it for you? But that's the thing. It's not about you or me or anybody else. It's about honoring the Lord. And when God says he loves a cheerful giver, hey, I, I don't know about you, I'm going to believe him. I'm going to be outrageously generous. Because look, he has been outrageously generous with me. His grace is without end. His mercy is without end. His faithfulness is without end. 
And he has paid my debt in full on the cross. And for those of us in this room who have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, he's done the same for you. And here's the cool part. I get to invest in the kingdom so that others can know this priceless gift of grace that God gives us freely through faith in him? Like, sign me up. I want to do more of that as I go throughout my life. So I would challenge you, graduates, if you haven't already, start giving to your local church. Start giving to kingdom-minded ministries. Even if it's like, I really can't, it's hard to trust, give a dollar. Just start there. Five dollars. And increase it every year. And I promise you, God will use it for his glory. The last word of wisdom is also kind of counterintuitive in the world today. But it's so key to living a wise and godly life. Scripture says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I think if I were to take a, take a poll, I think most of us would say we hate being corrected. Is that cr- true? I think so. <laughs> and it seems the more independence we have and the older we get, the more we resist correction. We don't want to be told that we're doing things wrong, and we certainly want, don't want to be disciplined for it. After all, we have a lot of knowledge and wisdom. But graduates, your reaction to correction and discipline is so important for the rest of your life. It's not like you get out on your own and suddenly you become unaccountable for your actions. You still answer to the Lord. And what's amazing here is while Solomon was young, he actually did pretty well receiving correction. He chose the wisdom of the Lord over his own. But over time, as it is in many of our lives, I know in mine, It's harder and harder to trust that wisdom. And ultimately, he chose to ignore the Lord's wisdom for many moments of his life. And he did what he's advising his son not to do, which is despise the Lord's discipline and reproof. Now, I want you to notice the reason Solomon gives as to why we shouldn't despise the discipline and reproof of the Lord. This is so key. It's because he loves us. He loves you, graduates. He loves you, congregation. See, just as good parents discipline their children out of love, so too does God. The fact that he would discipline you and correct you means that you are, in fact, a beloved child of God. Why would you neglect that? Now, typically, this correction and discipline doesn't come directly from God himself, but by his representatives, your parents, your pastors, other church leaders and members, godly friends and mentors. So graduates, when a godly person confronts you with something, don't don't be quick to dismiss their correction. Now, they may be wrong at times. They're not God. But oftentimes, at least in my life, they have been right. And they've saved me from a lot of grief and pain along the way. And they've helped me to become more like Christ. Isn't that what we all want? As the scriptures say in Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Graduates, the only way you will become more and more righteous is to allow the Lord to correct you and discipline you as a son or daughter of his. It won't be pleasant at times. The scripture even agrees with that. 
And like I said before, I don't know anybody who actually enjoys discipline and correction. But here's the principle to keep in mind as the Lord, Lord seeks to discipline and correct you. Embrace godly discipline because you are a child of God. Embrace godly discipline. You are a child of God. And if you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a part of a worldwide family of God called the church. Don't neglect the church, graduates. See, part of what the church is for is to correct you and discipline you so that you can be all that you can be in Christ. So as you leave this place and go off to other places for school or work, I would encourage you to prioritize being actively involved in the local church. Ask for mentors in the faith to further disciple you. And never forget the family of faith you have here. Graduates, you have been given a huge gift of the body of Christ. The blessing of fellowship with other believers in the church who will walk beside you and correct you when needed so that you can become all that you can be in Christ. So embrace that. And finally, graduates, know that you are so loved, not just by me and this church family, but also by the God of the universe who goes before you. And he has given you the gift of his word, which contains the greatest wisdom for a lifetime of walking with him. Seek out the wisdom of the Lord. Be in the word. Seek him in prayer. Follow his leading. Because graduates, that is the wisest thing you can do. And know that you will still make foolish decisions in your life, if you haven't already. You're not going to be perfect. But seek the Lord's wisdom in everything you do, and you will never go wrong. And when you do make that foolish decision, remember, don't let one foolish decision define you. You are not that decision. You are a child of God. So from this point on, you can choose to follow the wisdom of the world, or you can follow the wisdom of Christ. And every time, he will be right there with you. His grace is unending. He will make you new. He will give you more and more of his righteousness. He will grow you into the man or woman of God that he wants you to be as you seek his will for your life. And I want you to know that it has been an honor and a privilege to be your pastor and friend. And I wish you all the best for your future. I know you guys are going to do great out there. So may you go in the wisdom of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these graduates. We thank you for this body that has helped us to get where we are today. Thank you, Lord, that you, you never leave us nor forsake us, even as we go out on our separate journeys that you have called us to. Lord, give us your wisdom. We know that you are there with us, walking beside us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that these graduates would be able to experience more and more of your grace and your mercy and your love that is steadfast and immovable. And I pray that that would be for a lifetime, that they would walk with you forever and ever. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.